Good morning, everybody. This is the Marcus Today Members Podcast on Wednesday, 18th of January. General advice only, usual rules. As you'll see in the newsletter, we have been busy, busy, busy this week, revamping the presentation of our portfolios. If you have a look today in my section and Henry's section, you'll see our new portfolio presentations. We are trying to put all the portfolios into the same format. And this is the result. Any feedback much appreciated. Already had some and fixed a few things. If you spot any errors, give us an email. And a pretty shabby day once again today. We were down 71 points at one point. We've had some jobs numbers at 11.30. Markets bounced a little bit down 37 at the moment. And once again, interest rates, the talking point for all the markets. There was a stronger than expected retail sales number in the US and a stronger than expected industrial production number. And that suggests the Fed are in no rush to raise interest rates as they have been messaging us this week. Both Bostic and Waller effectively said there's no need to cut rates early and we had the same message from the ECB so that's the theme at the moment and that little rally in bond yields we saw over the new year faded away for a week but it is back on now and the bounce in bond yields at the end of last year is now looking like a much more material pivot point the US 10-year bond yields back to 4.1% at its highest for the year And the whole market is working on the interest rate theme now. So higher rates means the technology sector comes off, the REIT sector comes off, real estate investment trust sector comes off as well. And I've pointed out a couple of stocks that do well when interest rates rise, computer share and QBE notably. Computer share sit on a lot of customers' cash and higher rates mean they earn higher interest on customers' cash, and it is a material earning stream for them. So computer share was actually the best stock in the top 50 yesterday, just highlighting this higher rates theme. And the other stock is QBE. QBE is an insurance company, holds huge holdings in US bonds, and even on a daily basis, higher bond yields are as good as a profit upgrade for QBE and other insurance companies. So the QBE has been bouncing as well. Another stock which we're losing money on in our income portfolio at the moment, Challenger, generally does better when bond yields rise but hasn't responded yet was hoping it would. But the flip side of all this, of course, is that technology stocks are coming off the top and real estate investment trusts are coming off the top. I haven't sold the SLF ETF in the strategy portfolio. That is an exposure to Australian real estate investment trusts. I probably should have, but I think this is probably a short-term theme. We have just over-enthused about rates rate cuts coming. The expectation was that we would see them as early as March in the US. We're now talking about June. And I see the NABs strategists suggesting that the RBA are going to be on hold until at least November. I think this is going to be the theme this year. When will interest rates be cut? It's quite a good backdrop for the market as a whole, but there is no rush for central banks to cut rates unless... GDP growth suddenly starts to decelerate and it will also require inflation to continue to come off and some central banks would be prudent just to wait until inflation is back into their target range before they start cutting rates. 
So I think this year will be punctuated by interest rate cut disappointment. And that's certainly how we've started this year. We are climbing down from the peaks. The ASX 200 has hit this resistance level at the old all-time high five times now and started to come off the top. It's going to take a mighty push to get it to break out of that level. And it will be a significant day when it does, but it doesn't look like it's happening early this year. Worth pointing out, despite the negativity and there are a number of stretches if you have a read around number of stretches talking about a modest correction from here but worth pointing out that the Nasdaq and the S&P are still hovering very near their all-time highs I think the S&P 500 1% off its high. It's not a material correction at this point and nothing I don't think for investors to worry about. Hence, we are still fully invested in the strategy portfolio at the moment. We have, however, in the short term stuff in the ideas portfolio and the one stock portfolios, which are now contained in the trading section rather than in my section. But those portfolios have been stripped down to almost nothing. We probably should have sold Woodside by now. But it's not doing us too much harm and Telstra is a very benign holding but the message is we're out of BHP and we're out of Macquarie in the one stock portfolios and we are at bare minimum in the trading ideas portfolio what usually happens with the trading ideas portfolio is when the market turns around starts going up we suddenly have 10 ideas we probably have 50 ideas and 10 holdings and when the market turns down the ideas portfolio gets stripped down to nothing and that's sort of where we are at the moment so it's telling you something only two boring holdings in the ideas portfolio tells you the enthusiasm for the market at the moment is benign i'm not sure this rally in bond yields and this sell off in the markets and in the Aussie dollar, notably, is really tradable. It's probably just a sobering up rather than a significant pivot point in interest rates. So I haven't really tried to take advantage of it by buying computer share or QBE or the other thing we could have bought was some of these currency ETFs. For instance, the Yank, which is a geared ETF geared to the US dollar. It was a pretty obvious buy. It's up about 6% in the last week and a bit. Could have bought that but haven't and we probably should have been selling although we don't hold it but if you were holding the Aussie dollar strong Aussie dollar ETF which was AUDS you probably would have been selling that as well the other thing that's coming off of course is the resources sector as the iron ore price just peaks out the sector had a fabulous run from the bottom of the market but the GDP number out of China yesterday whilst it was reasonably healthy at 5.2% which sort of matched Beijing's forecast for the year their forecast was around 5% 5.2% was okay but good news is bad news an okay GDP number means no stimulus is on the way and you probably saw the Aussie dollar fell about 1% on the back of it yesterday and the resources sector started to come off again as well. Also in resources, Rio's had production numbers day before yesterday and there were a few small downgrades after those yesterday and BHP's had production numbers today. Iron ore production down 2% addressing what they're going to do with their nickel operations. It's not a positive vibe so the BHP share price down 1.1% today, nothing too scary. It just vindicates our recent sale of BHP in the one stock portfolio. So resources, energy, REITs, the worst sectors 
today. The other story that's going on is, of course, Liontown Resources, the once fabulous Liontown, which got to $3 after a bid from Albemarle last year. Gina Reinhardt bought herself a stake, of course, got in the way of the bid, and Albemarle pulled the bid in October last year. The share price dropped from $3 to $1.80, and as of last night, there was a term sheet for Albemarle selling the 96 million shares, the 4% of Liontown they still own, trying to sell it at $1.26. And on the back of that, Liontown, which was trading at 166 on the 1st of January and 137 yesterday, hit a low of 116 today. It has had a little bit of a recovery, sitting around 120. But it's obviously not a good look, is it? The biggest bull of lithium, Albemarle. How big was that bid? Was it an $8 billion bid for Liontown? Not only have they pulled the bid, but they are now, presumably, taking a long-term view of Liontown and deciding it's no point holding their shares at this price and are selling selling them. That reflects badly on the whole lithium sector, obviously. You've got Latin Resources down 9.6% today. Patriot Batteries down 6.1%. Mineral Resources down only 0.8% today. But the biggest bull turns bare, and it's a bit of a long-term message, but the prize for the worst timing ever in a mining boom goes to Gina Reinhardt. Hancock Prospecting currently hold 18% of Liontown. That's 438 million shares bought at around $3. That's a 1.31, in fact, over $3 Gina was paying. So she spent $1.315 billion and turned that into $521 million. In other words, in 87 days, Gina Reinhardt's Hancock Prospecting has lost $793 million. That's $9.1 million a day. I think it, as Henry describes it today, a forlorn hope to be buying Liontown in the hope that Gina Reinhardt makes a bid. With the trend in the lithium price at the moment, no one's going to rush. No one needs to rush to bid for any lithium stocks. Although, as Marcus Today members know, making money out of the stock market involves identifying sentiment holes, stocks in sentiment holes and sentiment bubbles. The lithium sector's gone from bubble into a hole in the last four months. And doubtless there is an opportunity at some point, but until that lithium price turns, I wouldn't be getting excited, I have to say. The other little thing in that space is Tesla. You might have noticed Tesla are cutting their electric vehicle prices in line with the Chinese cutting prices as well on electric vehicles. In my humble opinion, electric vehicles are massively overpriced. If you think what's involved with electric vehicles, it is not a lot. It is going to be very cheap to pump these out. I think the price of electric vehicles are high because of the price of internal combustion engine vehicles have always been up there. So electric vehicles have had the luxury of basking in the pricing mechanisms of traditional cars. But there's not a lot to them. They are going to be a lot cheaper to produce. And I think it's a little bit like the PC boom. Every year there's a better one. It's faster, it's better, and it's cheaper. 
and I, for one, will not be buying an electric vehicle. Until this whole thing settles down, I don't want to be buying an electric vehicle. Apologies to everyone who owns a Tesla, of course. Tesla seems to be holding their value quite well, but if it is like a PC boom, it's going to take a few years before prices settle, and I think they are going lower, and that means the second-hand car value, second-hand electric vehicle value, is at risk. So I will just keep driving what I don't think I'm going to buy a new car, but I'll just keep driving the old cars I've got for a few more years before moving to electric vehicles. I had someone describing electric vehicles versus internal combustion engine vehicles as being similar to the horse and cart versus the motor car. Everybody kept saying, hang on, my horse is a really good horse and my wagon's got the dual chrome whippersnapper reins on it and I don't need an automobile, but in the same way, it's coming. Doesn't matter how good your internal combustion engine car is. It's coming, but until prices settle, I am not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars buying electric vehicles. Anyway, just my humble opinion. Apologies to anyone who already owns one. Coming up, we've got the US big tech results season. Gets into gear next week and the week after. Let's see if that can lift the market. My guts tell me it's unlikely that we can rehype the AI hype over results. The last two results seasons were seen as Slightly disappointing, despite the fact results were fabulous. I think we're at a stage with AI and big tech where fantastic results are good, good results are okay, okay results are a disaster, and I think that's how we'll go into the next couple of weeks. But for the moment, in the short term, stripped down to the bare minimum. Don't think there's anything terminally wrong, so still fully invested in the strategy portfolio. Have a look at the growth and income portfolio presentations today. We've included our dollar amounts and number of shares detail from our portfolio platform today. Bit of a revelation. And the other thing to mention today is if you haven't noticed, we have significantly widened the images in our newsletter, which allows us to have higher definition images. And you probably won't notice on a mobile phone or an iPad, but certainly in the website, Everything's a lot bigger today, bigger and brighter, constantly trying to improve things. Right, let me finish with a little bit of education as usual. Let me just explain something we take for granted, but you might not be aware of, especially if you're a bit of a new investor. It is the difference between daily and weekly charts. I have had an email about it. Daily and weekly charts don't really look very different if they are line charts. But if you've got a candle chart, now you might be aware that there are four pieces of data on a price every time period. So if you take the price of BHP today on almost all technical software, there are five pieces of data which are logged for every share price. So take BHP today, there will be a high, low, open and close and a volume number. A lot of people ignore the volume number. But on a chart, if you look at a candle chart, you will get a piece of data that will generate a candle for a time period. So on a daily chart, the high, low, open and close are the high, low, open and close for that day. And obviously, you build up a history. Generally speaking, traders, shorter term investors, 
will look at daily charts. So they're looking at a daily piece of data. And the technical software that people use, we use Metastock. We used to use Omnitrader a lot, but we've moved sort of back to Metastock at the moment and we use Reuters. But if you look at all the technical indicators, if you're talking about relative strength index or average true range, or MACD, Moving Average Convergence Divergence Indicator, and the many other indicators that people have created for technical charts, they all use a number of periods. So on a daily chart, a 14-period RSI index will use the last 14 days. Consequently, you get a lot of detail and movement on a daily chart in these indicators. A stock can get overbought very easily on a RSI indicator on a daily chart because there's a lot of data. You're using 14 days. On a weekly chart, you're using 14 weeks. So each candle on a weekly chart is the highest price that week, the lowest price that week, the opening price that week, and the closing price that week. So you're now combining five daily candles into one weekly candle because there are five trading days, not seven, of course. So a weekly candle is five trading days combined versus a daily candle, which is one day. So now all the indicators are using 14 weeks, looking back 14 weeks to make their calculations, to make their moving averages, their relative strength index numbers. Consequently, on weekly charts, indicators are a lot slower moving. And because of that, weekly charts are more suited to investors. So if you are a particularly an income investor who doesn't really want to be disturbed by the stock market, but you do want to look at charts, if you start looking at daily charts, you'll have a heart attack. If you're looking for big pivot points rather than trading opportunities, if you're looking for big pivot points, you should probably just look at weekly charts, which means just click on your trading software. And that could be free trading software, for instance, on the ASX website, you'll see that you have the option to click daily or weekly data. And you'll find what you'll find is if you click weekly, everything becomes a lot smoother, a lot slower moving. The big pivot points are a bit more obvious, although you only identify them later. And it's all a bit sleep at night stuff. Whereas if you look at the daily charts, you might give yourself a bit of a heart attack. Then again, if you want to trade, you'll be doing everything far too slowly if you look at weekly charts. So that's a bit of a difference between daily and weekly charts, which someone asked about. The other thing you will see, the other option you'll find on your trading software is that you also have the option to look at hourly charts or 10 minute charts or one minute chart or one second charts. So a lot of Forex traders, Forex trades every second of every day, 24-7. A lot of Forex traders would be looking at one second charts, for instance, or at least one minute charts. So depending on how active you want to be, set your time period accordingly. If you read that book, Market Wizards by Jack Schwager, don't be confused with all the other people who've tried to put the same title on their own books. If you read that book, the wisdom coming through some experienced market traders is that the older you get and the more experienced you get, the longer term you start to become and you move, generally speaking, as you mature from one second chance out to one minute, 10 minute, one hour, one day, one week, one month, 
charts as your appetite for volatility and risk naturally diminishes. So the bottom line for you and for reading the Marcus Today newsletter is that we will refer to daily or weekly charts. Daily charts better for traders, weekly charts better for investors. There's your little bit of education for the day. As I leave you, down 39. We were down 71 at worst. Energy, REITs and resources, the worst sectors. Hope you like the new presentation of the newsletter with bigger images. Hope you like the new presentation of the portfolios in the newsletter. Any feedback, much appreciated. You have a fabulous day and we'll be back tomorrow.